either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. A couple of high-profile movies opening in the theaters this weekend, and got some VOD releases as well. So let's check them out. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, and we're from MadWolf.com. We'll start with. A story of a family on a tropical holiday who discover that the secluded beach where they are relaxing for a few hours is somehow causing them to age rapidly, reducing their entire lives into a single day. This is old. Dad, why are you looking at me like that? What's happening to us? My daughter just turned six two weeks ago. Whatever's happening to us is happening very fast. You have wrinkles. There's something wrong with this beach. What's happening? Mom! 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 I'm scared! Oh no. We're here for a reason. This is the latest from M. Night Shyamalan, who tends to either really wow you or just put you right to sleep. Yeah, it's interesting. You go back to The Sixth Sense, which I believe in 1999 was his third movie, I think. But that just put him on the map. Boom. He was just a meteoric rise. And since then, in the last 20-some-odd years, we've seen his rise and his very hard fall he was just written off there. Yeah. Uh, and then and then a bit of a rise again. Yes. Started with The Visit. That was quietly, people got attention again. Like, I liked oh, it. Yeah, I did yeah. too. It was I fun. I liked it. And then, of course, Split. So good. Was, so, was so, one so of good. his best. And, and Glass was disappointing. But he's he's kind of on the back on the radar where, where people are considering him, I guess, on the upswing. Certainly, sure. certainly above After Earth or The Last Airbender, which were just embarrassing. Uh, so, yeah, but the thing about his movies, his his name, I guess, what he's done so far is it comes with, good or bad, a certain set of expectations. You hear his name, you think, oh, there's going to be this big cliffhanger at the end. Well, not here, because even though he wrote this movie, he's adapting a graphic novel called Sandcastle. So uh, don't expect one of those Sixth Sense type, uh, type big twists at the end. But it's a film that has... A very, very clear metaphor and really a pretty tidy ending. And it certainly has some awkward moments, but I think it sits sort of right in the middle of his resume. I enjoyed it. You know, I mean, I didn't think it was great. I thought the cast, which was really very talented people, I thought the cast helped to elevate a lot of what was going on. I mean, so you have Gail Garcia Bernal mm-hmm. and Vicky Crepes from Phantom Thread. Right. They're incredibly good, and they're very good in this as the the main couple who are um, having some marital problems. And then they go, you go through a series of actors who play their children, and the in the middle, primarily, what you have is Alex Wolf from Hereditary and Thomas and Mackenzie, who's just magnificent in everything she does. And that's the core cast that I think really does elevate almost everything in the movie. Yeah, it helps a lot because another thing that Shyamalan has sort of become known for, I guess, when you look at over all of his films, his dialogue can get a little troublesome. It can be awkward. It can be silly, like some of the dialogue is here Mm -hmm. and some of the situations and and choices. But I think you're right about this cast. They always elevate. They always sell it, no matter what. I mean, and you have some of the the tricky parts where, especially in in Wolf and, and 
McKenzie's case, they're playing teenagers, but basically they're still children. Right. Because they have grown up. They, they came to the island 6 and 11. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden, they, they've grown up because, of course, as children, their physical traits are going to, uh, the aging is going to manifest quicker than the adults, although they start feeling the effects as well. And so it's not just this family on the beach. There's a few others that have been invited to share the day at this very private, exclusive uh, resort or the beach that's surrounded by these majestic rocks. And then they find out quickly that there's, there's a price to be paid for this privilege. And I do like another trademark of Shyamalan. He, he, I do like his camera work. Yeah, I His agree. camera work yeah. is very nice here, especially early on. I also like the pace. It's very fast and frantic. The camera really accentuates the feeling of disorientation and confusion that's going on to their mental state and to their physical state. And then it sort of settles in a little bit as cooler heads attempt to prevail and try to stay calm and try to think of a way out of this, try to think of a way to escape off the island. Then the pace settles down a little bit, which to me seemed right. Mm -hmm. But it does still strike some, some silly situations, but it's very earnest about it, and it's very clear about the metaphor of appreciating every day that you have sure. as you watch these people's lives slip away in one single day. And then, we don't want to call it a twist, but there is a resolution um, toward the end, and it has to do with another nice tactic that Shyamalan employs in his camera work. There are very many overhead shots, mm-hmm. which are very clear to suggest that this group is being watched uh, by someone. Or something, uh, and so that when that comes together at the end again, it's to me it's a little too tidy. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like resolutions that are that wrapped up in a bow, but it's very easily digestible. It's just not exactly memorable. No, yeah, I mean it's not a classic, but it's. Uh, I thought it was entertaining enough. It was entertaining, and it there are, there's the one very so it's a PG thirteen film, and you know it's got it's a scary movie to to a degree. It's got death, it's got scary bits, you know. But there is as as you said earlier, there's one particularly like yeesh, yes, uh, but only one really. There's, there's, there's one visual fright if yeah. you're worried, and I had a couple of people already ask about taking their kids, since it is PG-13. There is one pretty sustained, and it's a good, it lasts a few seconds. It does, it does. Uh, visual fright that is pretty effective. Other than that, you take that away, and this is and this is really not any sort of a horror movie at all. It's more like an extended Twilight Zone type of right. premise. sure. But, but I agree with you. I think it's totally entertaining. A cast is good. It's certainly an interesting setup. I haven't read the graphic novel. I'm kind of interested now. But not memorable toward the end. But certainly not uh, not one of his uh, his worst. But certainly not one of his best either. And it's one that you'll probably be entertained by, but then forget pretty quickly. Right. And it's in the theaters now. It's called Old. We will stay in the theaters for a GI Joe spinoff centered around the character of Snake Eyes. Every warrior has a beginning. I'm on a new level. For six hundred years. Our ninja have brought peace to the world. I'm on a new level. I need warriors like you. Join us. What do I have to do? The journey from here is yours to decide. But that is just the beginning. I'm on a new level. Well, this is the third in the G.I. Joe franchise. I didn't see the first one you did. Mm-hmm. I saw the second one mm-hmm. you didn't. It Correct. was terrible. Mm-hmm. Now we're on the third one. And I can I get 
some support for the idea that the next one is going to be called Kung Fu Grip. <laughs> can I can I rally the people around that? <laughs> but that's looking ahead. Right now we got Snake Eyes, and it's a it's an origin story of a character that's already been introduced. Yeah, it's, yeah. Snake Eyes is one of the favorite, a fan favorite from the GI Joe universe, which of course started off in the I don't know, like '60s or something, as as toys. Oh yeah, I had to, my brother and I. We had them. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then seventies, uh, yeah. Okay, seventies maybe. And then there was uh, throughout the eighties that they had a TV show, a cartoon TV series, which I used to watch with um, the little boys next door. We would watch GI Joe sometimes, and then we really wouldn't because it was creepy. Because the commercial breaks were for the army, and yep. even as a kid, I'm like, this is creepy. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, they've made now two terrible films, and this is the third. And here is the good news: it's easily the best of the GI Joe movies. All right, but of course, the bar is very low there. Henry Golding from uh, Crazy Rich Crazy Rich Asians plays Snake Eyes, and he's he's very capable. He, you know, I mean, it's not like there's a lot of acting to be done and here. He's charming. He's charming. He's good looking. He sells the action, and that's really what the movie is: is an action film. I mean, if you go into this with a story, that's the wrong decision. The story is dumb. The writing is atrocious. And the performance is, on the whole, as the acting part of it, not at all good. Not at all good. But there's a lot of flashy action. The sets look great. The cityscapes look great. There's a lot of motorcycle action, which is pretty fun. Ninjas on motorcycles, yes, sure. Uh, There's... um, some fisticuffs, especially early on, that I thought was was pretty effectively staged, and there is a ton, a ton, a ton of sword fighting, sort of the crazy '88 style, where there's like a hundred people all running together, all their swords up, and then there's a lot of clanging and flashing, and no <laughs> blood. <laughs> That's weird. Gotta keep that PG-13. That's weird in a sword fight. There's no blood. There's no dismemberment. People just sort of drop, and you're like, well, that's odd. So it's it's a funny thing. I mean, I feel like the the filmmaker did about the best he could possibly do with a PG-13 rating, Mm -hmm. but it just doesn't suit the actual content of the film at all. Yeah. It's one of those movies that doesn't really have to worry too much. There's no point in really getting into the plot, right? It's it's an origin story. And it's an action <laughs> film with as much of this fisticuffs and swordplay that they can they can pack into it, and that's what it's going to deliver. And probably that's what the audience is expecting. Yeah, I mean, I think um, uh, the only sort of downside, if you're a big fan of the G.I. Joe, right, cartoons and things, is that you don't get that many Joes. You get one Cobra person, you get one Scarlet shows up. Samara Weaving shows up as as Scarlet. You know, the others have been the whole Joe squad mm-hmm. plus Cobra and all that, you know, the, very big in scope. And uh, and this is is not. It's it's pretty intimate. It's the way a lot of times, you know, when the when the um the X-Men would do an offshoot where they just did a like Logan or right. they just did one of not don't compare this to Logan. That was the <laughs> Don't go into this thinking Logan. Um, but the point is that, that it's a streamlined kind of an episode. But I think in a lot of ways that works in its favor. I can't recommend it, but if you've seen the others, if you're a fan, if you want to do something with your kids that mm-hmm. is, you know, violent, but there's no <laughs> blood, you know, it's fine. And while we're waiting on Kung Fu Grip, at least we can know that this is the best so far. That's right. And that is Snake Eyes. <laughs> Got a documentary next that's also opening in theaters this weekend. It centers on the daily life of actor Val Kilmer, featuring never-before-seen footage spanning 40 years, just called Val. My name is Val Kilmer. I'm an actor. I've lived a magical life, and I've captured quite a bit of it. Val! 
push the button. I was the first guy I knew to own a video camera. Here we are, filming ourselves. Uh, is that a it's video rolling, yeah. Oh, that's really cool, Val. I have thousands of hours of videotapes and film reels that I've shot throughout my life and career. Shut the video camera off. I will keep it on until we're rehearsing. I was recently diagnosed with throat cancer. I'm still recovering, but I want to tell my story more than ever. This one is in limited release this week. It does open on Prime in a week, maybe two weeks top. So okay. if you don't get a chance, if it's not in your area, look for it when it hits Prime in the next couple of weeks. Because it's just, whether you're a Val Kilmer fan or not, it's a really lovely, incredibly interesting documentary. Yeah, not only brings you up to date on him, because I think most people probably know now that he has been struggling with cancer for quite some time. And then you hear that he's going to be in the new Top Gun. I don't know. Is that is that true? Is that happening? So it leads you to wonder, okay, how's he doing? Is he recovered? What's going on? And you find out, well, number one, you find out that he has a very difficult time speaking because this film is narrated or, or pretty much his, his uh, thoughts are brought to the film through the voice of his son. Yeah, his son Jack, is uh, he's reading his words, so Val Kilmer wrote the voiceover that kind of walks you through all of the footage. But Val Kilmer himself, and he does show up, and he's he's there pretty frequently, and he talks a bit as well, but he has a tracheostomy, so he has to, you know, cover that so he, that he can speak. And it has a great balance of content because, as it turns out, Val Kilmer had video cameras sort of with yeah. him 24-7 since he was a kid. Yeah. It was interesting. It shows you an, some early footage of even Kevin Bacon being sort of a young Kevin Bacon being sort of amazed at that he carried this video camera around. So that really clues you into the fact that at the time, he was doing it before most people did. Yeah, absolutely. And so he did it when he was, uh, was the, the Kevin Bacon footage is when he, he did a play with him and uh, Sean Penn. And you see footage, of course, from all of the big movies, from Top Gun, pretty funny, the Top Gun stuff. <laughs> uh, you get to see some of the contention on set with the island of Dr. Moreau, which oh. I thought was really fascinating. So uh, a lot of uh, of that, there's a lot of that. You get all that sort of fun, cool Hollywood backstage information mm-hmm. that you might be interested in. But I think, you know, uh, the story that he's telling about his life and about art and about performance and about really resilience and that, you know, he was this massive, massive superstar. And then he was kind of not. And then he was, you know, a, a reliable character actor and then he was just kind of a working actor in whatever gigs he could get but he just kept coming back and then finally he, he did this one-man show mark twain i mean the whole thing and then of course cancer and now it's it's just another act it's another comeback it's a it's a just beautiful very touching endlessly fascinating documentary really well put together and that again is in select theaters now and then opening in on prime next week in the next couple weeks yeah next couple weeks and that's foul Next up, another movie opening in theaters, the true story of a small-town working-class father who embarks on a solo walk across the U.S. to crusade against bullying after his son is tormented in high school for being gay. This is Joe Bell. Jaden knew before he died that you loved him and accepted him. That's what matters. I never let him know it was okay. I gotta live with that. I have been to the movies. I decided to walk across America. I'll talk to anybody who will listen about bullying. When I told you to take a walk, I meant around the block, not to New York City. He told us he won't live there someday, remember? Saw him. He's right there in front of me. I still feel Jaden's presence. (laughs) I still got a long road ahead of me. 
Mark Wahlberg plays Joe Bell, the real-life father, who walks by himself across the entire country headed toward New York City because that is where his son, Jaden, always dreamed of going after he graduated from high school. So it's um, it's an interesting film. It's a tragic story. It's an incredibly sad, true story. And rather than having this film be about Jaden or about victimization, it's actually it's more about culpability, a parent's culpability, and about penance. Really, that's not what they come right out and say, but that's more or less what Joe Bell himself is doing. He just needed to do something, and this is what he decided he would do, is just take this long, long walk. Wahlberg is really good, but really, the person who is remarkable is Reed Miller, who plays Jaden, his son Jaden. He is just He's just like a light bulb. He's so compelling and bright, and it's a wonderful presence. And also, Connie Britton, who plays his mother, who plays Joe Bell's wife, is a nice, grounding sort of counterpart. The film is interesting in that it you think you know what you're getting into, especially with this very obvious contrivance at the very beginning of the film. And the truth is, the story itself does not fit neatly into your typical beats of a tragic but sort of inspirational tale. And so it's a lot, I think, messier than people may expect it to be going into it. But on the whole, I thought it was a really well-made film. One of the things that caught my eye about this, it, well, they changed the title. Originally, it was called Good Joe Bell. So, okay, uh, just Joe Bell now, and that's fine. But it was co-written by Larry McMurtry, the legendary Larry McMurtry. And I do believe this is the last screenplay that he worked on. He passed away just a few months ago. So this is the last screenplay that he worked on. So you know that the writing is going to be good. And and we've said before, you know, Mark Wahlberg, you look over his, his body of work, there have been movies, usually when he gets a strong director, when he does give a strong Oscar-nominated, since he has been, Oscar-nominated performance, and uh, it's nice to see him do a role like this. Yeah, absolutely, and it's in theaters now. And that is Joe Bell. Next is a science fiction drama about mankind's earliest settlers on the Martian frontier doing what they must do to survive the cosmic elements and each other. It's called Settlers. Mom? (gasps) This place doesn't belong to you. I've come a long way. I'm here to stay. I know how to get this place back on its feet. And I can protect you. But he can leave if you want. Mom, we can leave now. No, Rem, we can't. So you want to know what's out there? Nothing. Well, we talked at the beginning about a movie such as Old being very easy to digest. Here's the antithesis of that. This one is so far away from spoon feeding. Actually, it's going to probably make some viewers angry about it because it leaves so many spaces for you to fill in the blanks and to ponder. But I thought it was very effective. It's the debut for writer-director Wyatt Rockefeller, and it's got a very small cast, Sophia Botella. Uh, is the mother, and then her young child is played by Brooklyn Prince from the Florida Project, who really is showing signs of being able to take this in into an, a full career, move from a child into uh, into an adult. She's certainly not an adult yet, but you can see that she's got that talent. 
And then uh, the two male figures here, uh, Sophia Batella's husband, played by Johnny, Johnny Lee Miller, they are that they seem to be the only family, the only family of colonists at this outpost on Mars. And you don't really know what happened to the other colonists. You don't know really why they left Earth. Again, so many spaces for you to fill in. And then suddenly they wake up one morning and there's a great big word, leave, written on their front window. And a man named Jerry, played by Ismael Cruz Cordova, who's also very good, he's staking a claim to their house, basically. And from there, I don't want to get into any sort of spoilers, but... He has he has history there. Um, they have history there, and you start to get a little bit drips of ideas about what may have gone on and what may still or who may still be out there uh, in the landscape away from their their homestead there on their uh, Mars out, outpost. So, uh, the first two acts follow with this family, and then the third act jumps ahead. 10 years, and Brooklyn Prince is no longer playing the young Remy. She's then played by Nell Tiger Free, I love that name, from uh, Game of Thrones as the uh, older teenage Remy. And they're still trying to get along, but now, by this time, Jerry is much more of a stronger presence in her life, and and Cordova does a great job making you wonder about his true nature. What are his real motives here until really the very, very end? And it reminded me a lot of a movie that we both liked from a couple of years ago called The Wind, and it used a horror premise to really study the the struggle of women on the frontier in nation building you know so they're they're sometimes desperate and just brutal conditions that they that they contributed that they had to come up in and had to uh, work in as they had this unsung part in expanding in in uh, many cases America but I think this one focuses on just in general uh, worldwide and on top of that it just has your basic universal themes about no matter what planet you might be on, human nature is is sort of still the same. So again, it's going to leave some some big holes for you to ponder about. There's no tidy ending here whatsoever. So if that's your thing, you might want to avoid this. But I, I liked it. I thought it was quite compelling and a good debut for a new filmmaker, writer-director Wyatt Rockefeller. It's on Prime VOD, and it's called Settlers. Let's stay with the VOD releases. An FBI agent and Florida State officer team up to investigate a string of unsolved murder cases. Midnight in the switchgrass. She promised me this is going to be bad. I need to do my job. I need to see your cameras. Who's that? Where do they go? Where does it take? Somebody there. He's going to kill you tonight. Do everything you can to get out. You gotta promise me to always walk through that door. Hey, police! Don't move! We got the wrong guy. Where does this one fall on the straight-to-VOD Bruce Willis canon? Of the ones I've seen recently, this might as well be Citizen Kane. It's, it's one of the better ones. When you see Bruce Willis front and center on the poster and in the trailer, you can pretty much guess, okay, he's probably going to be in it for just a few scenes, and his 
character is probably not going to be integral to the plot. And that is exactly right. In this case, uh, it is uh, mainly driven by Megan Fox as an FBI agent who is has been going undercover as a hooker trying to catch this serial killer, played by Lucas Haas. And then the Florida state police officer who has been haunted by this series of similar cold cases over the years, and he wants to help out as best he can, and he's played by Emil Hirsch. So those three are pretty good in elevating what is often really heavy-handed dialogue and very familiar genre trappings here. And the, the title is terrible. Uh, so the film is better than that as well. But it's the director, Randall Emmett, and he is his first-time director, but he's been a producer on a load of things, which apparently has given him good instincts for just crafting a basic generic crime thriller that especially will remind you of one particular crime thriller, um, Silence of the Lambs, because you've got a killer whose identity is never in doubt. They never try to hide it. That's why I said the the, character, the uh, killer is played by Lucas Haas. That's evident from the beginning. And then... You, you ha- eventually, when Megan Fox's character is kidnapped, you go into these dual storylines, very similar to the way Silence of the Lambs uh, crafted it. And then there's a few other flourishes I'm not going to mention because of spoilers that really scream, oh boy, this reminds me of Silence of the Lambs. So that is ambitious and very uh, rarefied air that this movie cannot live in. But it does manage some respectably tense manhunt moments on on the way to its end and before things get really interesting bruce willis's character bails so <laughs> he's done his few scenes and he's out um so it's certainly not uh, on the bottom of the barrel in what i like to call the exit stage willis subgenre. but uh, it's no great movie but if you want to pass an hour and a half with a generic crime thriller this will do the trick and it's called midnight in the switchgrass Let's go back to theaters for the latest from one of our favorite directors, Quentin Depew. When simple-minded friends Jean Gobb and Manu find a giant fly trapped in the boot of a car, they decide to train it in the hope of making a ton of cash. Of course, this was called Mandibles. What's that crime, là? Les jambes de plomb. C'est quoi, ce gros machin? Une mouche? Une mouche? This is Quentin Depew. If you know that name, then you have a sense of what to expect. If you don't know that name, then you have absolutely no idea what to expect. His films are absurd, but without sort of that biting existential dread. They're goofy. And this one is, um, it abandons all existential dread, all cynicism. It's just goofy as hell and really very funny. Uh, A lot of uh, the reason that it works is because of Gregoire Ludig, who plays the lead. He plays Manu. He's just dumb as a bag of rocks. (laughs) It's um, (laughs) and it's very fun to watch him. It's a kind of a buddy film. Uh, David Marseille plays Jean Gob, and they just the what they get themselves into throughout the film. It's a it's a very light hearted, seriously odd but funny um, comedy. And if you've seen any of his other movies and you like his his style, and we do, this is for you. Just just watch the trailer, and that gives you a good indication, which I thought the trailer was a scream. And we're always interested in see what Quentin Depew is doing, and his latest is, is in theaters. It's called Mandibles. Hey, let's check in with Shudder. It's summer break, and three best friends are hanging together with the neighborhood teenagers. At night, they have fun sharing goosebump stories and urban legends. 
but when one is assaulted by her ex, she remembers the story of Candisha, a powerful and vengeful demon. This is Shudder's Candisha. Il y a deux façons de stopper sa malédiction. Alors la première, c'est d'appeler le démon, l'invoquer et de l'exorciser. La seconde, c'est. The premise is familiar, absolutely, no question about it. I think one of the things that makes this film stand out is that it is employing Muslim backstory and fables. And I think that we get so, in horror, we get so many Christian-bent stories, which I'm not opposed to that, but it is, I think, a nice change of pace to see some from a different religion. This is the latest from the writers-directors behind one of our favorite extreme French horror movies called Inside. Love that. And this is their latest. And this is, doesn't have any of the sort of slapstick humor that they worked into Inside, uh, as well as all the blood. This one does have the blood, though. And yeah, it's going to remind you a lot of Candyman. But it's based on a Moroccan legend uh, about a woman back in the 16th century who was fighting the Portuguese occupation and managed to kill six enemy occupiers before they killed her and her husband. So now, if you look into the mirror and say her name five times, you will summon her, and before she goes back, she has to collect the souls of six men. And she gets summoned here, and the three friends quickly find out that it's not just bad men she may be targeting, the ones that assaulted one of the friends. It might be their brother, or it might be their father, or someone they think doesn't deserve to be taken. And so even though it is very familiar in its Candyman-like premise, boy, I think it delivers on the blood, that's for sure. And it also, you're right, once they get an imam involved to try to get rid of the demon, it, it's a, a refreshing showcase of Islam as a source of salvation instead of a breeding ground for terrorists. So especially to American audiences, that is refreshing. And it's a, it's definitely worth it. It's a, it's a quick, it's got a quick pace, it moves, it's lean, it's mean, and it is bloody. And it is worth checking out on Shutter called Candisha. And with that, let's head to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Back in the lobby, and we find him every week just sitting here gouging on milk duds. It's the schlocketeer Daniel Baldwin back with the latest news. What's going on? Well, I do enjoy milk duds. Um, <laughs> <laughs> on August 5th, Shudder is going to debut their French horror werewolf comedy, Teddy. All right. And then moving into the fall, on September 3rd, Disney will release their Billie Eilish concert film, Happier Than Ever, A Love Letter to Los Angeles. You know, I really liked that documentary about her. I'm not the biggest fan of her music. I don't know it that well, but that uh, the world's a little blurry. I thought that was good, so we'll see what this is about. I haven't seen that one yet, but I keep meaning to watch it. But, the, you know, we, we keep talking every week. It's, it's nothing but music and horror this year, and that continues on September 9th. Music, horror, and documentaries. On September 9th, Netflix is dropping a Muhammad Ali and Malcolm X documentary called Blood Brothers. It's about their relationship. Wow, okay. So that'll be interesting as well. And then probably the biggest news, at least for us this week, is Neon is releasing Julia Ducanal's Titan in theaters Ooh. on October 1st. 
and it just won the big prize at Cannes. So, uh, boy, if we weren't looking forward yeah. to it before, which we were, even more so now. I'm hoping I will get to see that in theaters because unlike you in the Columbus area, I'm a little more rural where I'm at. So fingers crossed on that one. Mm-hmm. And then we have a bit of a TV tie-in coming on October 12th. Um, Chucky will begin airing on Sci-Fi and USA. It is a limited TV series, but it's a follow-up to the previous films, and there will apparently be more films coming on after this one. So anyone who's a fan of the Killer Doll franchise should probably go ahead and tune into that this fall. And this will be the classic red-headed Chucky, correct? Yes, yes. This is Don Mancini's series. It is Brad Dorff voicing the character. They've got actors coming back from multiple previous films, as well as apparently a host of new characters. I believe it will start with its own narrative, and then they'll start pulling in some of the threads from the previous sequels, I guess, for a grand finale for the show. Of course, they always have to have new characters because he has to have new people to kill. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) And speaking of horror, of course, Universal announced Jordan Peele's next horror movie, Yesterday, it will arrive in theaters next summer, almost a year from now, and it's just called Nope. (laughs) Every time I propose going camping, that's what Hope says. (laughs) I never never propose going camping. (laughs) No. (laughs) Um, HBO Max has announced that they'll be releasing at least 10 exclusive films next year on, on their service, and, you know, that's not counting the usual Warner Brothers blockbusters which will be on the 45-day window after the start of next year. So we can, I guess, look forward to them supplementing the fact that they had to dump all of their blockbusters on day-and-date release this year just to keep the platform going due to not being able to shoot stuff last year. Then, on from that, it is just Murder City in 2021. (laughs) Um, Of course, Disney bought Fox a while back. Paramount and CBS joined hands again last year. We talked previously about Amazon buying MGM. Discovery is now buying Warner Brothers from AT&T. And now it looks like Netflix might scoop up Legendary Entertainment. Wow. If they do that, that'll give them Dune, King Kong, Pacific Rim, the new Toxic Avenger movie, the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie, and who knows what else. Maybe I'll get bought by one of them at some point. (laughs) (laughs) And you are for sale. <laughs> you know, for the right price, Time Warner can buy me if they want or any other, or any other stuff. Uh, as long as they pay my mortgage, I'm good. And that's all I've got for you this week. It's a pretty light week. All right. Appreciate it as always. We'll talk next week. You can find Daniel at the Schlocketeer on Twitter. Hey, thanks for having me. Looking ahead to next week, just like this week, we've got a couple high profile movies opening in the theaters, starting with The Green Knight. Also, Jungle Cruise. Mm, Ride the Eagle. Lorelei. Twist. Fully realized humans. The boy behind the door. And for mad men only. That's what we know about now. There'll probably be more things pop up, and if so, we'll try to cover them. In the meantime, let us know what you thought about anything this week. What did you think about old, or maybe you're a G.I. Joe fan, or even the Val Kilmer documentary. Let us know. Easy to keep the conversation going on Twitter. You can find us at Mad Wolf. That's M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also on Facebook and Instagram. It is Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website where you can find all of our written reviews and our other horror movie-only podcast called Fright Club. That is all there for you at madwolf.com. So we hope to hear from you. Until next week, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap.